Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're about to listen to an episode of The Tour Coach, which is going to give you an inside look at coaching golf at the very highest level from on the PGA Tour with my guys all the way to here at Mobile, Alabama in the Dew Sweeper Dome as we help folks of all skill levels, all walks of life, learn to achieve their golfing goals. Tim, I said this to you yesterday, and, and I've said it to you before. You know, I love having people that are resources that are the very best in the business and the best in the world at what they do. And on the equipment and the fitting side, you're certainly one of the best in the world and, and been a great resource over the years. I've asked you a ton of questions about things and, and picked your brain on, you know, tour players of mine with driver issues and different things yeah. like just asked your opinion. And I, and so, one, I want to thank you for always being such a great resource. And two, congratulate you on all the stuff. But but I thought this would give us an opportunity to talk for just a little bit and give folks some insight on what we see as far as fitting and what's important for folks out there as far as getting better. Because I, you and I have talked. I think the same thing for a tour player applies to, to any level of golfer. And I, what I kind of – the road I want to start down is you were the first person I ever heard coined the term or used the term around me, agnostic fitting, where we just try to put the best 14 clubs in the bag. And I think we're going to, we're seeing more and more a trend of that on tour. We certainly are kept because of model of that. I think Rose is doing some version of that now. And I see more and more guys that have a driver that's different or a three wood that's different or wedges that are different than the irons and things like that. I think that trend is growing on tour and I think it's going to be, and I, nothing so, more than that at the club level either. Somebody trying to force 14 clubs down. I'll drop a little nugget that actually we haven't, on the, we haven't released this as a press release yet, but I'll drop a little nugget for you, Tony. We just started a tour department. I can't mention uh, some names because the contracts still aren't signed. I think that's awesome. And I think that's good for the players. Yeah. And that's the big thing. What have you found with that? What what have you found when if you take a player, player A, and he's always played what he's had to play under contract, right? Yeah. And, and then you put him where you got access to everything. How many pieces are vastly improved when you give them, a, a, you know, a sampling of, of everything? So with Chap, we ended up going with Wilson Staff Irons. We ended up changing driver shafts, changed fairway woods. We kept the utility iron. Oddly enough, we kept his old Nike VR Pro 4-iron in the bag from, you know, seven years ago, just because there's no 4-iron on the planet that he hits better than that. The other part of it, too, is like out on tour, they're not exposed to hitting a bunch of different club heads from different brands. The big thing you fight out on tour is that all of the OEM reps all have relationships with shaft manufacturers, and they kind of put their finger on the scale to influence the fit in towards a certain shaft brand or even a certain shaft product. And I think that's the big thing that these guys have found. It's like, wait a minute, I've only ever hit Fujikura shafts. And then they start thinking about it and they're like, well, why is that? And I'm like, well, you're starting to ask the right questions. And, and that's not taking anything away from Fujikura, right? But like no, I've, man. Seen that, I've seen that with other brands, with players, where a rep always pushes one brand a shaft, right? And, and yep. is known to do that. And, you know, again, like I'm, I'm in the same boat as a lot of people out there. I'm paid based on how my guys perform. Right. And I think even at the club level, so if a 15 handicapper comes to me, I'm still paid on how he performs because he's going to quit coming to me if he goes up to a 20, right? right? 
And uh, And none of his buddies are coming to you. (laughs) Right. But if I take this 15 handicapper and I get him to where he shoots 76 and I explain to him agnostic fitting and we put the right 14 clubs and he gets started to hit it further and hit shots he didn't used to be able to hit, then, I mean, not only go make more off him, but I'm going to have everybody that he plays in his group. So I think it transcends every level of golf. Let's talk a little bit about, if you will, because I've thought I've had the same thoughts. So the wraparound season that we're forced into because of Corona, we had guys at home. I mean, I think some guys tried some different stuff, and it's interesting. But like, you're going to go right into a new season. Curious, what equipment changes you've seen because of that? Like, if any, are there less people changing? Are there more people changing? What are you seeing out there from a, you know, in the world of fitting and the world of equipment on tour because of this? way more like where there's a lot of activity on the gear front and i think like we just mentioned this has given them an opportunity to scratch those equipment itches that they haven't been able to for a while because normally with the wraparound season they get done in you know the early fall after the fedex cup they take a couple weeks off and they're back at it right again and when you look at the cadence of product launches you know out on tour you get a couple drops during the summer prototypes then you get a major push in the fall that's kind of supportive of the spring product launches that you see. And so when all the new stuff starts to drop in the fall, they're already into another season already. And in the past, you would get a good solid four. What would you say the old off season was, Tony? A good four or five weeks? You know, obviously your top 20, 30, 50 players is maybe a hair longer. I mean, but well, not really because they have that Asian swing. And so right. you know, everybody, you know, everybody's finished around Thanksgiving, right? But then... Right. The best players are heading to Hawaii the first of January or the last week of December, first of January. So you got a month off. And look, no matter what level you're at, they need a break by then. They've all played if they've been towards that one fifty to twenty five range, or they've been playing their their ass off the end of the summer trying to get inside the one twenty five so they've right. played everything. And if they're in the top, they've gone through the fall, the FedEx Cup playoffs and then jumped right into Asia and stuff. So nobody's had much time off. Yeah, and, and that's the old model where you would finish in November and then get kind of the month of December off, as you mentioned. You know, that's kind of the old schedule. But on the new schedule, because of the way that they prioritize rankings for entrance into future events and the way that they reorder that, for the guys outside the top 20 in the world, they pretty much have to get right back at it so that they can start you know, accumulating the, their points so that they can you know, get into events. It's so darn competitive and get good draws and things like that. So what you're seeing is if you're outside the top 20, you really don't get an off-season. And so these guys don't have an opportunity to explore some of the things that they would want to when it comes to equipment, whether it's brand agnostic, whether it's trying something, you know, trying a driver that's really short or really long, or trying a different setup. So that's kind of what I've seen. I mean, we've seen some players, you mentioned Justin Rose, Obviously, there's been some equipment change there. There are quite a few players, actually. You know, it was interesting during this this little downtime. I would spend a lot of time out at TPC Scottsdale here in Scottsdale, and the back of that range was like a tour event every day. I mean, it was wild. There were a good 20 players back there hitting balls and practicing. And I can't tell you the number of gear conversations. And you know how this works organically, Tony. Player A is over here hitting a couple shots. These guys are super tuned in to, to the acoustics of the way, you know, impact sounds. And the guy hitting balls next to him hears something, and it's like, what is that? And looks over, and 
well, what do you got over there? And it's like, well, I got this. Let me hit it. And then he hits it. And then he's like, oh my God, that's way better. But it's with a brand that is not necessarily the brand that they're under contract with. And now all of a sudden the wheels start turning. I saw a lot of that happen over the last couple of months out at the back of the range at TPC Scottsdale. It'll be interesting too with this wraparound, like, you know, it's the business side of it, you know, I mean, oh, wow. because you're going to have guys that play less events, right? Yep. Because things, so you wonder, you know, the money could change based on the events yep. they play. And then, you know, if you're not making as much, is it really worth playing something that's not the best club in your best club? I think that's what we all wonder as, you know, outsiders, as golf fans, right. is is the money that players get from equipment companies worth it, right? That's That's just a... For folks that don't know, it's an interesting question. Just to add to that point, I mentioned that the back of the range at TPC Scottsdale, the back of the range at Whisper Rock, the back of, the, or excuse me, the back of the range at Silver Leaf, and out at Whisper Rock here, uh, these are all three premium, you know, players places where tour players practice. The number of times I've heard the comment, specifically made to me or to another player, yeah, I'm on my last year, my deal. My agents already told me that I'm not going to get near the money that I had, you know, on my last deal. I think I'm just not going to do an equipment deal, and I'm going to try to look for, the, for that endorsement money off the course instead. I'm tired of forcing round pegs into square holes. And what that means is, you know, if you're outside the top 20, 25 in the world, yes, you get high attention to detail when it comes to the build process, but not necessarily the design process. So if you're Rory, TaylorMade's going to make an iron specifically based on your feedback. If you're a Tiger, TaylorMade is going to make an iron specifically based on your feedback. If you're a TaylorMade staff player and you're not one of the top 25 or 30 in the world, you probably don't have a lot of input into the design process, which means that you may end up in some kind of product that it's, you're kind of having to figure out a way to make it work, you know, w with different aspects of the club build or club fit. You know, when you go into in a fitting environment, you have 27 different iron heads to test. How long did the fitting take, you know, with, with a couple of the guys on tour that we've worked with over the off season? It takes a full month to get through the bag, you know, going through and, and doing irons. You're never going to fit the whole bag in one day, not when you're hitting 20 different driver heads. I don't know anybody that can withstand hitting 20 different driver heads in a fitting testing environment. So it takes a long time to work through it. And uh, the biggest thing here, you know, just relating this to the everyday golfer, the tour players are starting to understand that the chance of one single OEM making 14 perfect golf clubs for them, they're starting to realize that maybe that's not something that is, you know, realistic. And so when they start to hit another player's golf club, you know, you see this all the time, Tony. How many times you see a guy on a, on a deal, a 12-club deal or whatever, and then you see something off-brand sneak its way into the bag, and then, you know... The, the head cover from the contract. Exactly right. And it's interesting because from a brand perspective, brands tend to have certain fingerprints as far as performance, right? When you look at ping stuff, it's very forgiving. It's very stable. It's extremely accurate. When you look at Callaway stuff, it's extremely fast, usually really long. Everything has a certain aesthetics profile or shaping profile that tends to coincide with, you know, what the brand wants their products to look like. So what I'm getting at here is that when they start to realize that they have all these options amongst different brands and different products and that, you know, maybe the Ping fairway woods are really good or the Titleist fairway woods are really good and then the Callaway driver is really good and then Mizuno irons are really good and then Vokey wedges are really good and they start to test this stuff agnostically, you end up with four or five different brands in the bag at the end of the process. And, you know, 
there was a time when that was kind of more rare. You, you wouldn't see five different brands in one bag. You may see three brands or two brands, but you wouldn't see that many different. And then you get now add the golf ball into the mix, right? So when you really look at it, you know, with a lot of players nowadays, giving them the option, you know, as you know, the difference between one on the money list and 60 on the money list, Tony, is razor thin. It's razor thin. So they're looking for tenths of shots on their scoring average, and that ends up being millions of dollars. So it's pretty wild. I also think that as the money continues to go up out there, right, and the money's gotten so big that, like, except for a very few people, they're going to make way more money on the golf course with their performance than they are with any endorsement deal from a manufacturer. Heck yeah. Right? So it becomes increasingly more important. Like, so I think we're going to see more and more people that, are entirely performance focused and an area that they can gain an advantage is by having the best 14 clubs and they give up the hundred or 200 or 300 that whatever it is. And, you know, I know, for example, like one of the things that I stress to my young guys coming out, like taking Andy Ogletree coming out, won the U S amateur is like, why some of the, one of the worst mistakes I see folks make is come out of college and take an extra hundred thousand or a couple hundred thousand. Yep. But in the grand scheme of things for your career, if you don't play good, it isn't going to matter anyways, right? I mean, you can't live off that extra hundred thousand right. the rest of your life, right? So you're better to play what you've always played and performed. And then I want your opinion on one of the hardest things I think to change for people coming out is the golf ball. And yet, yes. you know, more manufacturers are are requiring you to play a ball. And and I think that if you've grown up playing X brand. And then you change. I think that's a huge change for somebody coming out. It's probably the biggest. It's probably the most important. And then that was, there are players that have had a lot of money. I mean, just in the last couple months, there are players that have had a lot of money offered their way. And at the end of the day, the deal breaker was the golf ball. They just could not play the golf ball. These guys get so keyed into balls. And it's not just a brand and a product, as you may know, Tony. The golf ball to these guys is almost like vintages of wine. You know, I play the 2011 Pro VX. I play the 2017 Pro V. They get tuned into a specific ball that's made for a specific, you know, during a specific year. And and Titleist has always been great with their tour staff that they have on ball contracts, that they'll give them access to past iterations of golf balls. I've heard that that access is kind of limiting. You know, it's, it's more limited nowadays than it was in the past. But... You know, I'll always remember out at Greystone where you and I had did some work together in the past working with Steve Lowry, and he plays the 2010 Pro V. And uh, I was like, well, I got these 2012 Pro Vs over here. You want to use these in the fitting? He's like, no, I want to use 2010s. And it's like, wow, it's that level of specificity. And I think it actually goes from a point where it's performance-driven to actually placebo-driven to where they actually can't even play another ball just because their mind can't, can't really accept it. So... It's interesting on the golf ball front. And the other part to mention there, Tony, is that I don't know of very many tour players that are primarily fitting their golf ball to their driver and and, and iron. I think that most guys I know are fitting their golf ball to their short game and wedging. And obviously, they have to make sure that it also checks the boxes with the irons and the driver too. But they're going to make sure that the golf ball is optimally fit for the short game. And then they're going to fit their long game around that ball and tune in certain things regarding shaft specs and all that sort of stuff to make sure they're getting optimal flight there. 
you know, with the ball that I've seen is the first thing they care about is sound around the green yeah. in particular. Everybody has a different sound and a feel they like. And whether it feels yeah. like it comes off hot, whether it feels clicky, those types of things are important to them. You know, and then obviously trajectory with the longer shots, you know, whether they feel yeah. like it goes too high or too low or does it come out the window that they're looking. And yeah. yet again, I mean, we're, we're talking about things that regular, you know, any club golfer, I mean, obviously they don't have access to all the different years of a brand, but I mean, I've, I've improved players, you know, ball speed, different things, performance by change it, trying a couple different golf balls, even yep. during the fitting, you know, hundred uh, yeah, I've seen you guys do that. I saw you, we did the, we did that event at Bay Point one time and yep. uh, we changed, you changed a guy's ball, golf ball towards the end of the fitting because of between two to find which one performed better. Right. And I remember you doing that. And I mean, that's a, you can make a pretty significant difference when you factor in the ball and then you've got different manufacturers and different clubs that you can go for. So how do we figure it out, Tim? You know, like for us at home. That's like, what I was, that's yeah. exactly what, what, what I was do? just getting into. <laughs> Here's your homework assignment, Cordy. Okay. I want, this is going to take a good three or four weeks to kind of get through all the iterations of this. But I want you to go to the golf course. Number one, your short game is going to get a lot better because you're going to be practicing your short game a lot more over the next month. What I want you to do is I want you to go to the golf course, take your current gamer ball, and just pick any other golf ball. And take one sleeve of your gamer, one sleeve of ball B, and I want you to go for an hour around the practice green. And this has to be a real green that you're hitting to, not, you know, a, a pitching green that's, you know, shaggy and not kept right. And this has to be a real practice green that you're going to get accurate, you know, check and roll and all that sort of stuff. And I want you to just work for an hour around the greens, all different conditions, good lies, bad lies, rough, fairway, short-sided, lots of green to work with, chip and run, wet grass, dry grass, sand, and start to pay attention for if one ball is better than the other one as it relates to around the greens. And then spend a good 20 minutes up on the putting green and hit some putts and pay attention to the way it sounds. Tony, you mentioned something really earlier, really interesting earlier, sound and feel. As we know, when it comes to gear, sound and feel are one and the same. The feel that you get, the resonance of that club reverberating at the moment of impact, so to speak, from the collision with the golf ball, that resonance is actually what creates sound. So when you have a certain resonance that travels up the golf club, through the shaft, through the grip, into your hands, you're going to be keyed into the feel, so to speak, by the sound. This is one of the reasons I'm not a big proponent of guys practicing short game with ear pods in or, or, or listening to music because they lose the sound element. And the sound element is so important for feel. But getting back on topic for you, Cordy, go out there, hit some short shots, hit some putts. See if you can determine if one ball or the other is better for short game. A few days later, go back out and take whichever was the winner from round one and compare that to ball C and see how you work. At the end of this process of testing seven or eight different types of golf balls, you're going to be left with two or three golf balls that are really, really good from a short game perspective. And then that's when you put it on a launch monitor and you start looking at spins with six irons and drivers and stuff like that. Once you tune it into that level, now you're going to be left with the golf ball that is your optimal golf ball. I'd be willing to bet you that your scores come down right away once you start putting that ball in play, just simply because of the fact that, you know, that, that, it's the only piece of equipment other than your golf glove that you're and not even with your golf glove that you're using for every swing, because obviously a lot of players don't putt with a golf glove on. So the golf ball is the one thing that has to work with everything in the bag. And it's amazing to me how many golfers 
used the golf ball just strictly because of pyramid of influence. And what I mean by that is tour player usage. Just because player X plays a certain ball has no relevance to you. His golf swing is radically different from your golf swing. And his sense of feel is radically different from your sense of feel. Just because it's really good for him mean, doesn't mean anything for, the, the, you know, for a specific player that's trying to make a decision about golf balls. Yeah, I, that's 100% true. I, you know, I've always played Pro V1s. I don't know why. I just always have, right? But last year, I was, hit a TP5X one day, and I was like, holy shit, this went right through the wind and went really far. Way like, lower I, spin. We played a lot of wind in Minnesota, and I was like, I kind of like that. So this year, that's what I've been playing just because of that. And it's been, been fine, but it's interesting how uneducated, you know, I'm an avid golfer, right? Like I, Right, and it, a gear guy. You know a lot about gear. Yeah, and how, like, how uninformed I am about that decision, right? It's just kind of... It's, and it's one of the most important ones you have to make when it comes to golf ball. Interesting side note, we mentioned Tiger and the Bridgestone ball. You know, you see all these golf balls right now that are kind of engineered towards low spin. And in the equipment worlds, we see low spin, low spin, low spin, right? How many times have you heard that out of your amateur students' mouths, Tony? Low spin, that seems to be the thing. Well, Tiger tried, he, he challenged Nike slash Bridgestone. I want you to design me the spinniest golf ball you possibly can. And then it's my job using technique and talent to take the spin off of it. And the idea being that spin equals curvature and it also equals height and it equals stopping power. And so for a really elite ball striker, what that means is the highest spinning combination actually opens their catalog of different shots up. They can curve the ball more when they need to. They can stop it faster when they need to. And that's a very different mindset from, I think, the industry. And it's a very different mindset from what I think what a lot of golfers are going down the road of is they're trying to play these very low spin products so that they get their driver spin optimized into that window to hit it really far. But then they can't stop a sand wedge to save their life. And it's like, well, what's more important, hitting it 300 or hitting it close to the hole? Well, I also think, too, is if, if you're a guy that wants to curve it, right, that some of the equipment made and in particular the balls make it difficult to do that. Right. And then all everybody and I and I think just trying to launch stuff with no spin has hurt some guys' driving ability. I mean, I yes. think, and I also think that the club golfer, the folks like somebody that I'm going to teach later today, they need more spin, and everything yeah. they read is trying to get them to launch it, high, you know, higher with less spin. And I mean, some of these people hit it further out of play because That's it's right. spin's less. Or they don't get enough distance because they don't have enough spin to keep it in the air. That's the big thing. is, And it's kind of correlative to speed. When your sp swing speed gets below a certain point, spin is actually your friend. Not just for hitting short shots around the green, but it actually keeps the ball airborne and prevents it from falling out of the sky. You know, in general, anybody that has a very, very level angle of attack or hits up a lot on their driver, if you're very level or hitting up on your driver or with your irons if you're very level and not very down and you don't have a lot of speed, that's going to mean it's very difficult to create spin. And so for those players that are very level with their angle of attack instead of being down with their irons or somebody who's really, really up with their driver instead of being more normal at two or three degrees up, those are folks that are going to struggle for spin, especially if they don't have speed. Now, if you're a tour player, you can still create that speed or you can still create that spin because you have tons of speed. So you don't have to hit down on it to create spin. You, you use speed to do that. So it's a great point you make. There are a lot of players out there that are gravitating towards low spin equipment options, whether it's shafts, whether it's 
club heads, whether it's balls. And it's actually really destructive for, you know, a lot of demographics of players when it comes to skill set, ability, and, and club head speed. The biggest piece of advice I can give folks is just like what we mentioned with Cordy, spend some time and actually go through some kind of testing process. Explore it on your own. Number one, it's fun. So number two, like we mentioned with Cordy, if you're doing a short game ball test, you're going to end up spending how many extra hours than you would have normally on your short game? Seven extra hours. And your short game is going to get better. Your feel is going to get better. Plus, you're going to have a golf ball that performs better for you coming out of the back end. So all really interesting topics for conversation for sure. Well, and I think also if, if any golfer, regardless of playing the whatever, took a few weeks where they tried different things, different equipment, different irons to see what performs the best, everybody would find, you know, find, could get some help and find the right thing. And that, that's kind of what that's I've right. been saying. And that, I've been screaming that since I watched you do fitting and, and since I've been around it more and more. Uh, like, I mean, let's find, let's find the right 14 clubs, you know, and that's the right. place I just left working, like, it, would, it drove me nuts that this pro had the same brand, same manufacturer out two times a month and tried to sell everybody all 14 clubs from this one brand. And then, and it, like, to me, that's so self-centered, right? Like, that's not cared about how anybody plays golf because there's no way if you have 400 golfers at a club, one manufacturer is going to have the right stuff for every one of those guys. That's right. And that kind of is a perfect segue into the topic uh, that we chatted about a little bit before we started recording here, which was True Spec is starting a tour department because the tour players are starting to understand that, you know, maybe I don't want to sign that club deal because it's going to give me an opportunity to have a longer career, play better, make more money on the course, which, as you know, if you're making money on the course, Tony, you're going to be making money off the course. But if you're not making money on the course, you kind of have an expiration date on your forehead and you may have a nice endorsement deal off the course today, but if you don't get your act together and play better, you're going to lose that deal. So I think a lot of folks are realizing don't jeopardize your playing capabilities just to sign a deal with a brand. Right. I think you're going to see more and more. of. And so in line with that, not only is there kind of an awakening out on tour regarding brands, but it's also started to get them to think about, well, wait a minute, this information that I've gotten from from the last 15 years, I've never hit a 44-inch driver before. I see Ricky out here using a 43-and-a-half-inch driver, and he's killing it. I see Tony Finau go from 45-and-a-quarter to 44-and-a-half, and he actually picked up both club head speed and ball speed, and smash factor was more efficient. Why don't I try something that's a little shorter? Or in some cases, why don't I try something that's a little longer? Perfect example, look at, so there's news out of Harbortown and last week up in Connecticut, which I find fascinating. When is the last time you remember back-to-back weeks, two different tour players winning with two hybrids in the bag? Like, what tour players are using hybrids? Not very many. How many of them have two hybrids, not just one? Not very many. And yet the last two weeks, we've got Webb. And when you look at Webb's setup, he's using Titleist hybrids that are, you know, seven, eight years old, I believe. So he's using older equipment in those hybrids. You look at Dustin... And that stigma about hybrids, well, they're for slow speed players that hit it to the right that, you know, aren't very good and can't hit the middle of the face. Well, that's definitely not Dustin Johnson. And yet he had two hybrids in play. And when you look at those hybrids he had in play, Tony, they were really specific to dial in really specific yardages for tee shots 
and for specific approaches into par fives and things like that. So this is, you know, this is really interesting. You're seeing players out on tour using short drivers. You're seeing players out on tour using hybrids where you never used to see that in the past. You're starting to see brand agnostics show up out there a lot more frequently. And as you know, here's a question for you, Tony. Can you get to being number one in the world out there without having your equipment optimized? If you're just, if you've got a lot of talent, let's say you're a tour player, one of the top 10 in the world, do you think that they can make ill-fitting equipment work and still get to number one in the world? Or do you think that they have to be optimally fit? I think nowadays you got to be optimal. I think there's such a depth of talent and you alluded to it or like everybody's looking for a edge, right? That's why everybody's going to the best trainers, three, two, three guys out there that are the best. You know, that's why I think you see certain coaches have more players, right? Because people are wanting to optimize their instruction in every area of the game. I think everybody's looking for an edge. And so one edge now is optimizing equipment. And there's such a depth of talent there. I mean, whatever, mini tours to Canada, to China, to to Latin America, to Corn Ferry, to the tour. All of them have speed to me now. All of them can hit it a mile. And there's so much talent that like, there's such a razor thin right. you know, margin. And so if you're a, if you're a player that's on that fringe and you're looking for area, you can gain an advantage and maybe move from one level to the next equipment's an area. You might be able to pick up one. Yeah. And that's kind of my read. Can I give a ladies flex, you know, ladies three wood to a tour player and can he figure out how to make it work and hit it amazingly well? Yes, no doubt. Can he be number one in the world with that three wood? Probably not. Can they go out and shoot 65 any given day with a poorly fit set of golf clubs because they're just supremely talented and can make it work? They probably can figure it out, you know, occasionally. But can they consistently deliver 72 holes of great golf and do it week after week, month after month throughout a PGA Tour season without their gear being perfectly fit for them? No chance. And so, you know, how do we get more everyday golfers to understand that fitting matters and that the caliber of fitting matters? Just going into a brick-and-mortar store with some person that probably can't break 80, never has in his life, you're hitting balls, you know, in an indoor simulator. And listen, indoor simulators, we have a few with TrueSpec. There there are reasons to use indoor and there are reasons to use outdoor. And truth be told, throughout a really good fitting process, you actually use both because there are benefits to being indoors. But the thing about going to a fitter that's operating indoors is they have to be really good. Because not seeing ball flight and not seeing turf interaction, you really have to know what you're doing. And so you, when you go into the, the brick and mortar stores where you get the more, you know, base level club fitter, that's a very different experience than if you were to come to a true spec or go get fit by a tour, you know, a tour fitter, a tour van guy, you know, and, and when you get fit by your club pro, there's a level of product knowledge that the club pro may not have. Because he's busy running tournaments and giving lessons, and he doesn't have time to keep up with this stuff, especially as quickly as the product cycles refresh. So getting fit is extremely important, but I would say choose wisely where you get fit because it does matter. You know, experience matters. Do you need to pull out all the stops? And, you know, if you're a beginner golfer or a 30 handicap, do you need, you know, a $1,000 shaft in your driver? Maybe, maybe not. That's up to you. But one thing's for sure is if you spend time with somebody who knows what they're doing, they'll be able to point you in the right direction. And I guarantee you that, that they'll get you into gear that you play better with. Side note, how many thousands of players have you worked with, Tony? And you and I have been doing this close to the same amount of time. And I've been on the fitting side. You've been on the teaching side. I don't even know how many thousands of players I've probably worked with in my career. 
I have never seen, so the first part of our fitting process, Tony, is we do what's called blueprinting a golf club. And that's where we measure what the player walks in the door with. And all we're looking for is we're checking for build consistency, making sure the swing weights match, the frequency of the shafts match, just trying to make sure that the, the set makes sense, so to speak. And then after that, the player hits some shots. We evaluate the way they're hitting their own clubs, and then we start figuring out other options. In my 20 years of doing this, I have never come across a single player that when in a fitting environment, after testing all 14 of their current golf clubs, that there wasn't at least two of them that we couldn't replace with something better. It's never happened. So everybody out there has at least two clubs in their bag right now that probably are costing them shots and enjoyment out on the golf course. So spend the time to actually look into it. If you're spending time to get lessons and you're not getting fit, that's just the craziest thing to me that you could ever. Why are you going to spend money on lessons and not take a look at the gear too? That's crazy. Well, and your, and your instruction and your fitting should work together, right? If you're there you go. Not an instructor, they should be working together with your fitter to maximize your performance from the equipment side. I mean, I think it's part of having a good team of people around you, whether you're on the PGA Tour or you're trying to win your club championship. Yeah, the collaborative approach, which is why you and I worked so well together, especially through your junior players. I mean, one of your hallmarks, I think, Tony, you work well with every single player, but you do such an amazing job at fair player development. You know, there are a lot of tour coaches that once a guy has made it, so to speak, they become clients, but they didn't really develop that player. And one thing that you really do so well is you develop them from when they're kids. And so taking a collaborative approach with the teacher is so important. Listen, when you and I have worked together, are you ever going to interject and say, yeah, I don't think that shaft is right? No, that's not the way it works. What you do say is, yeah, we're trying to do this in the golf swing and trying to do that. And, you know, we're going to be trending in this direction. So when you're fitting, keep that in mind. And then it's my job as a fitter to figure out a solution that ultimately is going to be trending in the same direction that you are. Um, right. I think you want to fit clubs in a developmental way so that you're putting a, a club in their hands that they have to make their good golf swing to get a good result. Right. Yep. And, and it, it pushes them to get better. I mean, I think just covering up shitty shot isn't going to make anybody better. And, and you and I, could stand there and you could tweak a club on a range it'll make a guy slice it less and in the yep. end he's going to keep getting worse so that's exactly right this has been awesome stuff great insight into the world of fitting on tour as well as some of the stuff we've done together and uh man it's awesome stuff you guys got it rolling at true spec i appreciate you sitting in i'm sure we'll do it again thank you so much for having me on tony and uh cordy this is awesome always happy to be on the show whenever you guys want to have me and uh I'll make sure to get you on fully equipped my podcast on golf.com as well. So we'll get all that going. And if folks are looking for us with TrueSpec, you can find us at www.truespecgolf.com. We're located all over the country, have 25 different facilities in, in all the major golf markets. So if you're out there looking for gear and wandering around a pro shop, wondering what's best for you, probably need to come get fit and look us up. No question. I've seen you guys experience what y'all do. It's phenomenal and uh important part of, of folks getting better so again thanks for the time and the friendship over the years and i'm sure we're going to do this again sounds good guys thanks thank you so much for listening to this episode of the tour coach with tony ruggiero if you enjoyed this make sure to hit subscribe apple podcast spotify wherever you are listening to this podcast you can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. 
If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to. Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson, or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. If you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. As we go into year two of the Tour Coach, it wouldn't be possible without the support of all our sponsors. And I've had some great ones. And one of the things that I'm most proud of in my career and in my business is the fact that all of my relationships here and all these sponsorships have been long time, long withstanding relationships haven't jumped from sponsor to sponsor and manufacturer to manufacturer. And I've always prided ourselves in special relationships and when people work together, support each other, and we've all put out great products for the benefits of everybody else. So I wanna give a special thanks to these folks that have been with me for such a long time. And that would be the folks at Shrixon, Cleveland Golf, and Zexio. Couldn't ask for a better manufacturer to be aligned with. And not only do they put out great product and great support, but they're first-class people and they believe in what we're doing here on the Tour Coach and with the Dew Sweepers and also Vineyard Vines. Ian, Shep, TJ, and all the folks at Vineyard Vines, it's hard to keep me looking good, but they do a fantastic job. And they're like family. They support everything on the Dew Sweepers. And we're so proud to be affiliated with and support the folks at Vineyard Vines. So if you're out there, you're listening to the Tour Coach, please support our sponsors Shrixon Cleveland Golf Zexio, as well as Vineyard Vines, and keep listening and keep enjoying hanging out with us here on the Tour Coach.